this afternoon. And it just so happens we, on this 17th day of December, we're going to be considering the birth of Jesus. An interesting thought came in Sunday school that, that Jesus' actual human beginning did not occur in Bethlehem. It occurred in Nazareth. For Mary was conceived in Nazareth and uh, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But actually Jesus went from Nazareth to probably Hebron at Elizabeth and and Zacharias' home, and then went back to Nazareth for almost six months, and then they took the trek to uh, Bethlehem. So Jesus was in the north and in the south, and back north and back south again. So he had, uh, Mary was quite the uh, locomotion uh, in Jesus' early days. So we're in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, and perhaps you remember as a family reading the, the birth story, these ch- chapters. I can remember um, Tanya's mother reading Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 20 at our Christmas gatherings for many, many years. And then, uh, oh, about 10 years or 20 years ago, or even more, Tanya began reading these verses at our Christmas gatherings. Chapter 2, sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. Such familiar verses. I hope that we're not robbed of the the blessing by our familiarity. It's always fresh, even if the explanations and the applications aren't new. The words are always fresh. Keep that in mind. It's not the problem with the Bible. It's our heart's fresh ground. Is are our hearts like the fertile, warm, soft ground to receive the seed of the word today? So Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. The historic birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or registered is the idea in order to be taxed. And this registration, this taxing, was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. It all went to be taxed or registered, everyone into his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, or house of bread, because he was of the house and lineage, family of David to be taxed, to be registered with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and laid him in a manger, I'm sorry, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths or clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. There were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And lo, behold, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes or cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. It came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, literally by pondering them in her heart. We secure truths by meditation. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. You read a passage like that and you're tempted to say the benediction. You're not so fortunate this afternoon. But isn't it a wonderful passage? The historic, not just the history, the historic. A lot lot is history, but not historic. This is the historic birth. And it's of our Lord Jesus Christ. The child who is delivered will deliver us. What a great gospel text that many of us remember from childhood. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. If I'm not mistaken, this is the only time Savior is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And it's found once in John. Remember the woman at the well, uh, the Savior of the world. Remember, or was it the, the Samaritans that made the statement? <coughs> Old Testament prophesied of the coming of Christ in many different ways and different angles. The seed of the woman in Genesis 3, Shiloh, or he whose right it is. Genesis 49, the Passover lamb in Exodus, the sacrifice and the priest and the altar in Leviticus, the star of Jacob, the king with a shout among us in Numbers, the prophet like unto Moses in Deuteronomy. All the kings represent Jesus just by being a king. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. He's Christ the Lord. Born in a day when Caesar was supposed to be called Dominus et Dias, Lord and God. He is Lord and God. 
and the Caesars will bow their knees and proclaim him to be so. In a sense, there's a direct confrontation in history, the birth of a king in a Roman Empire that the Caesars felt that they should be worshipped as Lord. We've had 4,000 years of history, 400 years of silence, and Jesus is not born in, in Jerusalem, perhaps where people might expect the king to be born. The wise men did. Isn't it amazing how Matthew ends his gospel with us preaching to all the world, and he begins the gospel with all the world coming to Jesus. For the wise men perhaps came from all the way over to, from India. But Jesus would not be born in Rome or Jerusalem or Damascus, but in a very quiet town, not really a city. Though it's called a city, it was a town called Bethlehem. And is it a surprise to us that God reveals this great birth to shepherds and to not earthly kings and dignitaries? And you remember the Old Testament is full of shepherds. The patriarchs were shepherds. That kept them in a certain part of Egypt and not blend in with the Egyptians because shepherds were an abomination to the Egyptians. You remember a man named Moses? What was he doing for 40 years in the wilderness? He was a shepherd. And who is in these very fields where the shepherds are given a revelation of the birth of Jesus? Those are the very fields that David was in, shepherding his sheep and killing a lion and a bear outside of Bethlehem in the fields. Amos, you remember, Go home, shepherd. He was from the south and he preached in the north. And they said, you're a shepherd in the south. Go home. And he said, I I, I didn't call myself. God called me to preach to you. I'm just a shepherd. And isn't that of the Lord? He appears to those who are just whatever. Anonymous or despised. The shepherds were despised people. Supposedly, you could not allow a testimony of a shepherd in court. They were doing what they were doing mainly because they were raising sacrifices for people to buy an offer in Jerusalem. They were servants. They were slaves. And so we find Jesus among shepherds and among angels. Is it? A surprise to us that angels who've been worshiping the sun since their creation would appear praising the Lord in a choir. Won't it be nice to listen to a choir like that one day? Angels, we will hear from on high. Amen. Glory to God in the highest, in, El, in excelsis Dale. Another, enough of this eggshells. We can pronounce in excelsis Dale. Silence, though, ends with a call to worship. The angels, glory to God in the highest. On earth, peace, goodwill. There's a call to worship. 
After 400 years of silence, from Malachi to the New Testament, 400 years, they hadn't heard from a prophet since Malachi. Now they hear from angels and they hear, remember our study, how uh, they would hear from Zacharias who would prophesy of the work of Christ. And God would send a chief angel because of his son. Gabriel would be sent to Mary and to Joseph. What a privilege Gabriel must have felt. If God asked the angels, who among you would love to give the announcement of the birth of the Messiah? And you can all again see them all saying, me, let it be me. But no, it's reserved for you, Archangel Gabriel, because Jesus is the Arch Son. He is the King. He is the Chief One. The long-awaited birth of the incarnate Son of God. Scripture must faithfully be fulfilled, verses 1 to 6, where he's the long-awaited Messiah. Sages must finally, their prediction must be still. They predicted many wonderful things might happen with the Messiah's coming, but oh, how man's ways are not God's ways. A lowly condescension of the Son in such unpredictable circumstances. In a poor area, among poor people, Jesus was willing to be born of a poor family. Isn't that amazing? Of all the people that could predict the the appearance of his face, the Bible says he did not have an appearance that was striking. It says two things about Jesus' face. It doesn't tell us what color his eyes were. It doesn't tell us just general statements. He was not apparently a very striking, handsome man. And that when he was crucified, he had been so marred that you couldn't even recognize him as a man. And he decided on those things. He didn't decide to be, you would think, wouldn't the Messiah be born in a castle? In a palace? No. God's ways are not our ways. And thirdly, As saints, we must forever be thrilled. There are such lofty gospel implications in the birth of Christ. Scripture must be faithfully fulfilled. I don't know how many people zeroed in on Malachi 5, verse 2. Herod had asked the priests or the Pharisees where Christ should be born. Wouldn't you think that there'd always be someone watching have somebody have some safe house in Bethlehem every year for someone to be ready to, to see the Messiah born there? Micah 5, verse 2, gives us the birthplace of the Messiah. It was David's birthplace. But interestingly, we never re- hear, see recorded David ever re- uh, returned to Bethlehem. He was anointed there by Samuel, But beyond that, we don't see him returning. And you know, there's no record of Jesus returning to Bethlehem. It says he went to where he grew up. 
But it doesn't say that he went back to Bethlehem. Why is it? He does talk about a, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. And often you go back to your loved ones and you're not honored because they know who you are and what we were. But oh, if they'd only believe, but I'm not what I used to be. I'm not what I want to be yet, but I'm not what I used to be. Will you at least see what God has done in my life and listen before you die? Luke explains how it was that Joseph and Mary, soon to expect the birth of the Messiah, would dare to travel many miles and risk the health of mother and son. Again, if Joseph and Mary were privy to Bethlehem, why wouldn't they have sojourned there by now? So obviously there were things that were somewhat kept from them. They must not have put, in, put those things together. Surely if you were Joseph and you knew Micah and you had locked in on it, you would have moved from Nazareth by now. She was great with child. And it was very risky for her to travel. So prior to the decree to go to Bethlehem, you would have thought that if they had known about if they had just if it had registered that they'd have been there, there would have been room in the inn, as it were. There would have been plenty of space. There would have been places to rent. And so God would use the decree of a king and the potential for gossip to send them from Nazareth to Bethlehem. How is it that? Caesar Augustus would make such a decree at this time. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water he turns it wherever he wants to. How is it that they're going to get from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Scripture has to be fulfilled. She can't bear Jesus in Nazareth. It can't be done. Scripture must be fulfilled. So it was a decree, we believe it was a census, in order to be taxed. And for whatever reason, they made sure that they went back to their origins. Now many argue that Mary wasn't required to go with Joseph, especially a woman great with child. So why would Joseph risk this? And apparently the scripture doesn't indicate because he knew Micah 5.2. God knew Micah 5.2. But I would at least propose this, that his, his protection of Mary caused him to risk that, that journey. He knew that she would be the subject of ridicule, of gossip, of slander, to remain among relatives. How people can be cruel, can't they? And imagine Mary trying to convince in Joseph this child is born without a father. This child is the Messiah, born of a virgin. You know what human nature is, how mean and hateful they can be. Oh, it's 
just watch children playing the, the, the cruelty that as children when we play, picking on people. I took a different route Friday. I was asked to take a different bus route because my regular route was canceled. And I experienced such a toxic atmosphere. So sad. People picking on each other. Mary would have no doubt been the subject of ridicule. So by family origin, this time they had to be enrolled by households and therefore they had to show up in Bethlehem, the city of David, because they were from the lineage, the family of David. The spotlight does not go to Caesar, though. It runs from Caesar to Cyrenius and even from Joseph through Mary to Jesus. He is the spotlight. Mary is his espoused wife. That is, she is his wife, but as Matthew one twenty five, not yet consummated. She was great with child, which indicates it was an arduous journey for such a woman on a donkey. You ever been on a donkey? You ever just traveled on a difficult road? I have to go through West Valley in a bus every day. And I feel like I'm a milkshake by the end of the, by the, end of the journey. And she had to travel on top of a donkey all that way. And it would have been nothing but cruel for Joseph to do such a thing. But it was the Lord that moved him. He used the king's decree, but mainly I think it was the gossip. God can use evil turned to good. Heaven's attention is on now one holy family, but especially one holy child. And notice it says that Mary would bring forth her firstborn son. What does that say? Her firstborn son, not her only son. She would have other children. Do you not read this, Roman Catholics? Do you not read this? She had other biological children, but the other children she had was her and Joseph. They were all, they looked like her, they looked like Joseph. Jesus looked like Mary. She, he had Mary's DNA, not Joseph's. He would be the one to deliver us out of the hand of our enemies while they were there. Isn't that interesting? Luke says, there, in Bethlehem, just like the Bible says, the days were accomplished that she should deliver the deliverer. Many other prophecies, he's, he's the one that had the Immaculate Conception, not Mary. He's the one that was virgin-born, as Isaiah would prophesy. He's the one that would that come out of Egypt like Hosea prophesied. Soon, Joseph and Mary would take the little boy, Jesus, to Egypt and fulfill Scripture. And so Joseph protects her from gossip and God fulfills his word and she brings forth her firstborn son in Bethlehem. So God used gossip in a decree. Everything's up his sleeve. It causes the wrath of man to praise him. Amen. Doesn't he? Just like Balaam, out of the mouth of Balaam, praises came for the Lord and for his people. And God would use the 
potential, and probably they were already experienced. That's why I think Mary went, in God's kindness, Mary visited her cousin Elizabeth for three months. She knew that when people began to, saw that she was showing forth, but still she had to endure, no doubt, almost six months of ridicule. People are cruel. Even we as God's people can be cruel, can't we? Oh, there were lofty predictions by sages. We sing about that, don't we? That sages leave your contemplation. Now see what really happens. To be God's son to be born, to take human nature. What a glorious birth that the Word would become flesh and dwell among us. Not sojourn, dwell among us. What a message that is. God doesn't sojourn among us. He dwells among us. There's a big difference. The tabernacle dwelt. It was, it was among the people. It was permanent, as it were, wherever they were. It was with them. God doesn't sojourn with us. When he gives us his spirit, his spirit dwells within us. It's forever. It's permanent. It's abiding. He abides with us. Unto us a child is born. That's Jesus. Unto us a son is given. That's the son of God. Isaiah. Unto you. You see the message? Unto you is born. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Unto you is born this day. There's Isaiah. The the angels are are quoting Isaiah. Unto you, which means unto your advantage. Unto you, your advantage. Not against you. Unto you, for you. But there were no pomp and circumstances. No kings bowing. There's no indication that the wise men were kings. And I know many try to say, well, Psalm 72 says kings will bring presents. But there's no scripture in the New Testament to say. It's true, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Elizabeth was a queen that bowed down to Jesus, gave gave him, him her heart. Oh, that her son would have been the same. How godly people in Great Britain are sorrowing that Charles does not have the salvation of his mother. No red carpet for Jesus. No castle, no plush crib. No royal attendance. You notice that Luke goes out of his way three times, not once, not twice, three times he mentions manger. He's he's being redundant on purpose that the king is laid in a manger, a watering trough, a manger. See him in a manger low. Look at verse seven. They laid him in a manger Verse 12, lying in a manger. Verse 16, the babe lying in a manger. Three times. It's like Luke is saying, don't you get this? Do you not see the 
seeming contradiction, the absolute condescension, the king, the Messiah, is laid in a manger. And who's wrapping him? And what's being, what, what is Mary's wrapping her own child? Not a nurse. And she's taking strips of cloth, those swaddling cloths you'll find often in the language of, of medicine. They were cloths that would wrap around a cut. They were, it was medicinal normally medicinal use. Can you see her taking those cloths around her child? Was your child, were you wrapped in swaddling cloths in the hospital? He wasn't even born in a hospital. Apparently he wasn't even born in a home. Now people argue, was he born in a cave? That was the popular idea early on became maybe a courtyard because in the courtyard of a home, the animals abide. Certainly we, we believe it was lonely and it was obscure. Were they there too late? Is that why there was no room in the inn? Or is it because of rejection? As poor people without enough money you see, the wise men had not brought their gifts. That would be later. It's not scriptural to have the wise men with the shepherds. The wise men appear later. And that money was for them to take their sojourn in Egypt for a while. The gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. An open courtyard, a cave, a poor house. That's where Jesus is laid. No room for them in the inn. Can you imagine being an innkeeper, discovering that? Was he, was he a believer? Hope so. And warm enough, and even in this time of year. They were despised, but they were devoted to the Lord. The Lord resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He chooses the base things of the world to confound the mighty. Jesus, you see, would be a good shepherd. He loves shepherds, the patriarchs, Moses, David, Amos. And Jesus is proud to be called the good shepherd that giveth his life to the sheep. And he's also proud to be called the Lamb of God. And to think that the shepherds were raising their sheep to be sacrificed. What gospel associations. God came down. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. Isn't that the gospel? That is the gospel. Isn't it a simple gospel? We poor sinners have been made rich because Jesus, such a rich Savior, became poor. His godly women were following him and his disciples 
take care of their needs. He was pleased to use them. What gospel implications we should have must always be fulfilled. We should always be thrilled. Behold, the angel said, he came upon the shepherds and they were startled. Glory to God in the highest. See, it's God's glory before there's peace. The reason why God brought peace is because it glorified him. It's not merely that our sin necessitated his his gospel. He wasn't obligated. He was obligated to judge us, not to save us. It's like someone punching you in the face and saying, you're obligated to forgive me. We punched him in the face. Cosmic crime to say, we will not have you rule over us. And then we say, we we must have a gospel. But that's the truth. The glory of God shone round about them. See, they'd been in the presence of the Lord. They were just emanating the atmosphere of heaven. You know, the more time you spend with Jesus, the more sense people will have that you've been with Jesus. They, what did it say of the disciples? They discerned that they had been with Jesus. There's no substitution for being with Jesus. You can read all the commentaries in the world. There's no substitution for breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in the Bible, breathing out prayer. There's no substitution. You can't compensate for lack of fellowship with God. No matter how much we smile, you can't fake humility. Oh, you can. You can try. We don't want to fake it. We want to really be humble. We want to be holy. As he is holy. Look is the message. Behold to the shepherds. They were sore afraid. And what comfort. Fear not. How often the Lord met us. You know there are, someone said there are 365 fear nots in the Bible. For every day of the year. Because we often fear, don't we? I'm afraid Lord. I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid to die. I'm afraid to live. I'm afraid of trials. I'm afraid of blessings because I get arrogant when I get blessed and I get depressed when I get trials. Fear not, for I bring unto you good tidings of great joy. And you know, at the, at the tomb, when Jesus, after Jesus rose from the dead, the angel did not say to the, to the soldiers, he said to the women, fear not. To the soldiers, you better stay afraid. You better repent. Man, if you don't fear God and you're lost, you don't know anything about being scared. Oh, the scare of dying without Christ, it is terrifying. Who knoweth the power of God's anger but Jesus? Why hast thou forsaken me? Oh, he was terrified to suffer the wrath of God at the cross. There was fear in his soul. How often you see people say, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to meet with God. 
Those are the same people that had no fear were, were uh, just walking in grizzly territory without any fear in the world until the grizzly showed, grizzly showed up. You ever hear people describe what it was like to meet a grizzly with no cage in between? If they live to tell about it, tell about it. I bring you good tidings. Look and live. Look and believe. I bring you good tidings. That's the gospel. Great joy. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. The fullness of times has come. God has brought forth his son. He's a savior, the only savior, Christ the Lord. And isn't it a paradox? An army proclaims peace. Because after the single angel, it says a whole heavenly army, heavenly host appears. An army of angels. They could destroy the whole country of the U.S. country in a moment. Do you know one angel, one angel slew 185,000 soldiers in a moment? They all appear. Peace on earth. They appeared, it says, suddenly. What a scene that must have been. Whoa. Here are the shepherds and all these angels appear and they're an army. They were were a host. Firstly, worship. Glory to God in the highest and excelsis Deo. Secondly, peace. First, glory to God. Second, peace. Worship God. God's, listen, this is a word of election it says in the English, on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Here's how it can be translated. Among men of his good pleasure. Or for men on whom his favor rests. He's talking about the fact that peace is to his elect people for whom Christ died. He died for his church, it says in Ephesians 5. The election of sinners. And it's not what... They called in Caesar Augustus' day, Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. No, this is the peace of God that passes understanding. Oh, the shepherds are so excited, verse 15. We don't really, it really doesn't bring out their excitement when it says, let us go now even unto Bethlehem. The idea is, come on, let's go. They get excited. They're thrilled. They're enthusiastic. They can't keep it to themselves. How can we stay out? You remember the lepers who came upon all that spoil? And it says, we do wrong. We've got to go and tell the king's household. And so the shepherds say, what a privilege we've had. Let us go. And you can see them running. Who's going to take care of their sheep? God will take care of their sheep. Maybe they had a couple servants, but they run toward the town. And they're not embarrassed. Can you see it? News, news. We've seen the king. We've seen the Messiah. But they weren't ashamed. They weren't humiliated. They weren't offended that he was in a stable, in a manger. God wasn't offended to use unrespected shepherds. And the shepherds were not ashamed to see the Messiah in a manger. 
among animals. They became witnesses. And they were saved men. They were saved men. How do we know that? What do you ask? What do you tell a child when he says, How do you know that were the, were the shepherds saved men? You're waiting for me to give you the answer. I'm waiting for you to give the answer. God doesn't give that news for the first time to sinners without Christ. Jesus appeared only to saints after he rose from the dead. Would that information first be given to lost souls who care nothing about salvation? And look at how they speak. Let us go and show show people what the Lord has shown to us. See how they speak of the Lord? Lost people don't speak that way. They'll say God. They won't say Lord unless they're swearing. But the Lord, see, they were his servants. They were saved men that were given that privilege. And look how respectful they were when they addressed the Lord. They were the first evangelists shepherd evangelists that made known abroad the saying that the angels have given them. Wonder, oh how we wonder. Wonderment, verse 18, it says that the people, you can see this is the power of God, the people weren't offended. God caused this message to go out beyond their offense of shepherds. And it says, all that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. God brought this message and caused it to be successful. People began to consider what they were saying. They didn't just say, oh, they're just shepherds. God can use the lowliest of us. If we have the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can see the gospel reach sinners and cause them to wonder at the truth. And Mary... She's listening the whole time. And the Bible says that she kept these sayings in her heart. And the word is by pondering them. Pondering, meditating on these things caused her to keep them in her heart. Stored up as she would raise him. And that she would see him at the cross. And a sword would go through her soul. But she would remember what was spoken of her son at his birth. And they returned to glorify and praise God, verse 20, for all that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. They took the same message. They didn't add to it. They didn't embellish it. They took took the same message and spread it abroad wherever they went. What a privilege they had. And here we are, 2023. We've been given the same privilege. Are we thrilled with the same message today? Are we going to return to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to our relatives? Are we going to return to glorify and praise God for all that we have heard and seen as it was told unto us? They would become the first evangelists. You know, the first martyrs would be very soon. The little infants in Bethlehem slaughtered by Herod. 
I believe those first martyrs are in glory. Imagine seeing someone introducing, I'm so-and-so. I died for Jesus. Died for Jesus. Will you live for Jesus? You can't die for Jesus until you first live for Jesus. Amen. Calvin said, Great joy means to rejoice in the salvation of Christ. Fully compensates for all the pains, distresses, and anxieties of this present life. It's to all people, to those who are nigh and those who are far off, to religious and irreligious, to you who is born this day, it's emphatic, you is right in front. Absurd to the world, but precious to us, a Savior laid in a stable. A package, a treasure package so plain and yet so precious. Let us go, like the shepherd said. Most mutual exhortation, let us go. We need each other. We need to encourage each other, exhort each other as the day approaches to publish his word that's still fresh and powerful. He's still the savior of sinners, the only savior of sinners. Oh, Father, these familiar passages are still fresh and powerful. Oh, God, we thank Thee that, it, that another year comes and we focus on the incarnation of Your Son and our hearts are stirred. We thank You, Lord, for the Holy Spirit within us who reminds us of Jesus and disallows us and forbids us to be cold and apathetic. We pray, Lord, that we might have more zeal for Thee, zeal with knowledge, and pray for the power of Your Spirit to spread abroad the fame of Jesus at this time and throughout this year. But Lord, as we close in 2023, will You let us point a soul to Thee? Will You let us see a soul saved? Will you, Lord, help us to dedicate 2024 to a year spreading the fame of the Savior? Oh, God, thank you for this Lord's day. Please seal thy word to our hearts. And like Mary, help us to keep them within us by meditating day and night. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Turning together to number 90, great gospel hymn at this time. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. <laughs> 